Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Beyond Politics broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope that if you're listening to us on radio or on podcast and you haven't had a chance to hit that subscribe or follow button on whatever podcast platform you use, that you'll go ahead and take this opportunity to do so. Your subscriptions really do help us out. So do your ratings and reviews. We love the five-star ones. The other ones, hey, we trust your judgment. I'm Matt Robeson, and on this show, I love to introduce the work of writers, experts, and thinkers that the audience doesn't know yet and really should, especially when we can tie the discussion into big topics dominating the public discourse, and I have a great opportunity to do that today. Allison McCook is a writer, a thinker, an analyst, a science editor who's written for consumer health news topics, for Reuters, for science magazines like Scientific American and Discover, for publications that are read specifically by scientists and clinicians like Nature, Science, and some of the trade magazines that physicians depend on. And she spent years as the editor of Retraction Watch, which is a, a very important publication that focuses on when scientists maybe didn't get it right and need to take back what they said. But she's also become a regular columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. She writes about health, she writes about science, she writes about COVID, and she writes about caregiving and grief. All of those topics are things that have been unfortunately very close to all of us in the last year and a half. And it's delightful to have Allison McCook on Beyond Politics. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, a, a pleasure to have you. Not so much of a pleasure to delve into the topic that we're going to hit today, which is where are we in the COVID pandemic? And I don't just mean from a science standpoint, because you sort of cover both angles. Your, your wheelhouse includes both science writing and the underlying technical aspects of everything that we're doing to deal with a pandemic. But you're also a, a deep thinker and analyst about the lived experience that we're all going through with the pandemic. And you've written uh, very artfully about both. So I wanna jump off from your last column in the Philadelphia Inquirer, where you wrote, the summer of COVID denial is over. What do you mean by that? Um, well, I feel like uh, summer was this kind of bubble, nice period for a lot of people, not everybody, certainly where we got to be outside and we could see people and we could socialize in a way that we haven't been able to before. Um, many of us were vaccinated, so that I personally became fully vaccinated at the end of May. So that meant June and July, all of a sudden I could do these things that I hadn't been able to do before. I could see people in person without masks. I could go indoors with strangers for you know a short period. And that felt really nice. I also have a child under 12 who's not vaccinated yet. And she could do things that she hadn't been able to before because she could be outside. So she went to a summer camp where she didn't have to wear masks every day. And she could play with her friends outside. 
And it felt like this glimpse of normalcy. Um, I do feel that some people may have taken this too far and that has ended up in the kind of situation we have now where a lot of people sort of felt things were done, things were taken care of, uh, COVID was over. And I think there are a lot of reasons why different people felt that way, different people had different reasons for feeling that way. Some people never really thought COVID was a big deal to begin with. And so the summer became this time of pre-pandemic for a lot of people where they just, um, I, I wrote that piece in response to the time, I, some time I spent, I'm in Philadelphia, a lot of people go down to the Jersey shore for the summer, I spent a few days there. And I just observed a lot of people walking around inside stores with no masks. I was, I still, even though I relaxed in stores with strangers, I have been using masks, certainly my child does. And we would go in places and be pretty much the only people doing that. And there were families with young children, too young to be vaccinated, who were just strolling around, no masks, and acting like it was 19 or 2019. And that's what kind of prompted this feeling that we've been, a lot of people for different reasons, have been pretending that this is over, and it's not. I Everything you just said completely resonates with me. And I also have kids under the age of 12. And I also went through the roller coaster ride, as I think a lot of our listeners are going to find everything you just said and everything in this article, which you, everyone should check out on philadelphiainquirer.com. I think it's going to really resonate with a lot of people because it's the same experience. I also spent some time at the Jersey Shore this summer. I also have kids under the age of 12. I coach my daughter's soccer team. The girls show up. Some of them are wearing masks. Some of them are wearing masks under their chin. Some of them are not wearing masks and I don't know what to tell them. And their parents are telling them different things. And I think it's just sort of emblematic of this spot that we found ourselves in where it, it, for a long time, as you said, there were people who were not taking this seriously. There were people who were strategically for political reasons, not taking this seriously. And then there were people who were genuinely trying to do the right thing but it wasn't always clear what the right thing was. And now we've gotten to a point, it feels like, where the right thing to do has changed and it's changed rapidly in the last three months. And so where does that leave us? I guess the first question I, I would ask, so you frame this as, look, we went through this eye of the storm. It's like in that movie, The Perfect Storm, where they have this moment, the sun breaks through, Mark Wahlberg looks up and it's like, maybe we're gonna live. And then the big wave comes it feels like we're kind of hitting that moment. To what extent do you think that this roller coaster that we've gone on is just circumstance? It's just the way the pandemic has evolved, the emergence of the Delta variant, just it, it, that's the way science works. That's the way viruses work. And to what extent do you think that this was a failure of foresight on the part of our public health leaders? Well, I think it has to be both. I mean, a pandemic is unpredictable. You don't know. I mean, it also for none of us have experienced anything like this before. And it's not like if we'd gone through 1918, the 1918 flu that killed millions of people, we would have experience anyway, because that was a completely different virus. 
And there were times that that was mismanaged too. So it's really, it's very, very difficult to handle this perfectly, you know, just by the nature of biology and what we're dealing with and we're learning as we go, despite our best efforts. Um, that's even if everybody did everything perfectly, there would still be a certain amount of uncertainty and limbo and confusion and, you know, roller coaster-ness, like you mentioned. That said, there were definite moments of mismanagement throughout this. Um, definitely things that should have been done better that were not. And so that has, you know, contributed to the confusion, certainly. There, um, so I would have to say the answer is both. Both things have been an issue here. One of the things that I think has been really challenging is I could sort of understand the thinking in the spring on the part of the administration. I'm, I'm just going to glom together the administration, our public health leadership. I know that you know they're supposed to be somewhat siloed, right? The White House and the CDC are not supposed to be the same thing. Um, and one of the problems during the Trump administration was the former putting pressure on the latter. We want to we want to keep them at some distance, but let's just put them together for one for one second and and say there was some kind of a unified strategy here. And the thinking seemed to be, look, we need to give people an incentive. We need to give people a goal line, a light at the end of the tunnel. And so if we say to people, look, if you get vaccinated, you can take your masks off. You can gather with friends and family. We, we have a goal line that we're gonna hit here, which is the 4th of July, and things are gonna start to feel normal again. I can sort of see the thinking from a public policy and a public communications perspective about why you would adopt a strategy like that. Now, as it's happened, reality hasn't gone along with the plan and we've had to backtrack on a lot of those things. And that's led to a lot of confusion. Now you're obviously an expert in turning science into public communication. You explain the thinking of health and biology and, and scientific leaders to the general public. What did you think about that strategy in the spring? And do you think that it was in retrospect, probably the, the wrong way to go? Or did it, did it make sense at the time? And then it just was not handled well in the, in the transition to the new reality? Or was it just, that's the way things go as, as reality unfolds? Uh, well, I mean, different people have different opinions about this. I personally think it was a mistake. I thought it was a mistake from the beginning. And the reason I felt that way is that, yes, there is this concept that, you know, it's the, like the carrot, I guess they thought it was that if you take your, if you get vaccinated, you can take your mask off. That, that logic only applies if, <laughs> the people who are not vaccinated are wearing their masks. And in, in my opinion, which I think has, has borne out in what we see, the people who are choosing not to be, these are people who are choosing not to be vaccinated. They weren't bothering with masks to begin with because to them COVID wasn't a big deal. So the carrot of not of being able to take off their masks didn't really apply because for a lot of people, if, if you're not concerned about COVID, you're not masking that much anyway. 
And I think the result of the reason I was worried about that advice is that I felt that it would be seen as a green light for everybody to take their masks off because we didn't give businesses and other places where people could choose not to wear a mask. We didn't give them the infrastructure and the help to check to see if the people who are walking around without a mask were truly fully vaccinated. And so we relied on people to be honest about that. And around the time the announcement was made, um, less than half of the country, I believe, was fully vaccinated. And I immediately, it took maybe a week or two, immediately I saw way more than half of people walking around without masks in stores. So that told me right away that this, this, this rule wasn't working, that the people who it was, the, the people were not following the rules. That said, it was based on the science that they had at the time, which was that fully vaccinated people can go into a store and be around strangers and they will not, they will not get in. The, <laughs> the thinking was, it's very complicated because it's based on, you know, blood work. And the thinking was that they would not get sick and they likely would not pass on the infection to someone else if they were fully vaccinated. That was the science. The science though was not based on infections with Delta. They hadn't, we had, that's the new variant that we have circulating now. It was based on previous variants. And at the time, this was around May that the CDC made this announcement. The Delta variant was really causing pretty major havoc in abroad, like India, the UK. And that made it, the advice made me nervous too, because we were basing this advice on the science we had at the time. And given that the Delta variant would likely come here to the US, our understanding of the science would likely change. And my other concern is that when you let unvaccinated people walk around without masks, which it's not like they're letting them do that, but by saying you can take your mask off if you're fully vaccinated, but we won't check. It was this honor system that I did not trust in which meant in my mind that unvaccinated people were gonna be walking around indoors without masks. That allows more infections to happen. And every time there's a new infection, there's a chance of mutation and new variants, even worse than Delta. So that made me nervous because what if there's a new variant that is even worse than Delta and then doesn't our vaccines aren't strong enough to combat it. So in my mind, the advice may have been based, the CDC's recommendation may have been based on solid science, but if you look at human behavior, at you, if you look at the path of the virus and the fact that in all likelihood Delta was gonna come here and we weren't sure of the effect of Delta, if unvaccinated people would be, would be strong enough to fight it off without their masks. If you think about that, it just felt very premature. It felt, it scared me actually, to be honest. Um, and I, I went from being comfortable shopping in stores where everyone's wearing masks to being more uncomfortable going into stores and seeing all these people without masks, not knowing if they're unvaccinated or not. And it just made me, it made me scared. And it, it felt like, it felt like we need, like you said, we needed a win. We needed 
a time to feel good. We needed like that, that iconic picture of Biden and, and Harris walking on the, I think it was the White House lawn with their masks off and they were close to each other and they're kind of patting each other on the back with this big smile. It felt like we'd won this war and it, but it also in retrospect feels like the, the mission accomplished moment in Iraq where you say, we've done, we've won it. You know, everything's good. And then the Iraq war lasted for years after that. And in retrospect, it looks like kind of this comically, um, just totally optimistic and unrealistic thing. And that's what felt, what, that's what the CDC's decision in May feels like to me. That decision to say unvaccinated people or vaccinated people can take off their masks. Well, lest people think that this is just kind of 2020 hindsight on the part of Alison McCook, you actually wrote an article to this effect in May, in real time, where you said, look, for many people, the CDC mask guidance means freedom. To me, it means fear. And so it's very easy for all of us. I think there's been a lot of this kind of facile analysis, especially politically motivated facile analysis that's been going after the administration recently because we found ourselves in this really uncomfortable roller coaster position when it comes to COVID. And so there's been a lot of incentive for political opponents to say, well, you, you messed this up, you messed that up. But you have been, I think, very prescient, a real kind of scientific canary in, in a coal mine when it comes to issues like this and seeing, hey, look, maybe we're not skating to where the puck is going. I want to ask you about another aspect of that, um, which is the administration made another decision over the course of the summer, which was around boosters. And if the decision about trying to, you know, look ahead and, and see where we should go on masks was insufficiently forward-looking back in May, it seems like maybe the administration is guilty of a little bit of the opposite sin in the decision around boosters, that they have kind of gotten out ahead of where the science is. And now there are some, some experts saying, hey, you know, what you did here really isn't warranted and might actually do more harm than good. What was your evaluation at the time about their decision to recommend boosters basically for everyone? Well, it was another one of those I think you're right about that. Definitely ahead of this. Definitely ahead of the science, and um, it, it, it the booster situation is beyond confusing. Uh, whatever I say about it will be outdated uh, very shortly. But the the yeah the announcement in August sort of subverted the way this is supposed to go, where Biden and some scientists within the running agencies said, we want to offer boosters to adults starting, they gave a date, September 20th, um, for people who are eight months out of their last, from their last, from being fully immunized. So the problem with that is that they hadn't seen the science about it yet. The Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson hadn't submitted the data that they needed to show that it's okay. And then the process is that a committee for the FDA reviews this data, makes recommendations. The FDA decides whether or not to give an authorization to a booster dose. And then a committee from the CDC recommends the sort of policy around that dose, who should get it when, that sort of thing. And the Biden administration just jumped over all of that and said, yeah, we're going to give booster doses to this, these people starting September 20th. 
And that has a lot of people really confused and really upset that they're not following the proper procedure. This is supposed to be based in science. And um, instead it feels like a more of a political decision that has left people more confused than ever. And um, who knows what the response to the booster decision will be based on the confusing process that led up to it. Alison, I wanted to lean a little bit on your experience in evaluating the science itself. You were an editor for Retraction Watch. And for people who don't follow that publication, there's actually been quite a controversy in scientific circles over the last decade or so when it comes to the issue of scientific studies that are put forward and are not able to be replicated. And that's led to some of the fine work that the folks at Retraction Watch have done, which is to keep track of, hey, you know, here's a piece of science that we thought was valid and validated. And it turns out it can't be validated. And maybe we need to rethink and the authors need to rethink and we're going to pull this back. And you guys put a lot of pressure on scientists to really make sure that they were minding their P's and Q's when it came to checking the science that they put forward. We've gotten to a kind of interesting process in science when it comes to COVID. It used to be that scientists would go through a very rigorous process before their work was published. And there was review, there was peer review, scientific journals were relatively cautious. I mean, you're the expert, but in relative terms, they were, they were fairly cautious about what they put out into the public sphere. And there's been this new style of just given the, the, the emergency need of dealing with the pandemic, there's been this new approach of putting out preprint pre research of researchers publicizing their findings before all of the checking has been done. What have you observed in terms of the science itself? Should we feel confident about the science that we're, we're hearing and, and reading about? Are we seeing uh, more instances of work being pulled back upon further review? What's your sense of all of it? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, science itself can be very slow. You know, when we're not in, in the midst of a pandemic, sometimes a study will take years to come out because there's just a really long process of, you know, doing all the extra experiments and checking everything and bringing in authors and then you send it to a journal and they have edits and they may they may not even accept it and that takes months and then you go to a different one like the whole the whole process takes a really long time. When you're in the middle of a global pandemic and millions of people are dying, you don't have time for that. So there has been a huge use of what they call preprints where scientists do experiments, they write up a paper and they have not submitted it to a journal. It hasn't been reviewed by outside experts, but they, they publish it in these online publishing journals. They're not even a journal, I wouldn't call them that. But they're archives that, that host these unpublished papers with data. And they have been written up in news stories because people are desperate for data. We need the data. So it's a good idea to kind of jump the line that way because we need this information now. However, when you read about things, I hope that the journalists who write about them explain that something has not yet been reviewed and anyone who reads it understands that this has not yet been reviewed. 
So in that sense, we it's this fine, it's a balancing act. We need the data, we need it quickly, but we also have to understand that what we're looking at is kind of contingent or, you know, it, it just needs a little bit more time. Um, however, I don't know any other way to do it, frankly, because like I said, we need this right now. And it's pretty astounding how quickly we have been able to get a, to, to develop things that work. I mean, these vaccines are, um, I don't wanna use the word miracle because it was scientists on earth making them, but it's really astounding that we have something that works as well as it does and it, as quickly as it does. Um, sometimes I look back and I just think I, I'm just in awe actually of how quickly this has happened. And yes, it hasn't been smooth. There have been things that have not, you know, people that have been had to backtrack, especially with we were talking about boosters, the data around boosters is there's so much discussion around it and so much uncertainty, different studies showing different things about the use of boosters and in who and when. So there, it, it is messy. But overall, the, the achievements, the scientific achievements outweigh the mistakes and the backtracks that we've had to make. Let me turn then from one aspect of your expertise to another, because as I said, you are one of the top experts in looking at this question of how is science proceeding? To what degree do scientists need to pull back and reconsider the work that they've done. But you're also an expert in the communication of science and public health to the broader public. And one of the hallmarks of the last year and a half has been that the public has gotten incredibly confused. They have not gotten on board with, as you say, we have these absolute jaw-droppingly incredible vaccines, vaccines that I've had other scientists on this show say you know, with a straight face, these are the most effective, best vaccines of any kind we've had ever. And yet we're seeing pretty unprecedented levels of pushback. And that's really the thing that's leading to this frustrating place we're in where we're, we're stuck. We're stuck in view of the finish line. We could get there. We just, it, we're doing this to ourselves and it's just absolutely maddening. So my question is, has there been a failure of science communication here? Or is are we really just stuck in the reality of this? Because as you describe, like, look, there's no other way to do what we've been doing the last year and a half, given the, the emergency. We need the speed of getting new science out. And that science is going to be reported on by a whole bunch of writers, some of whom are great at this and some of whom are not so great. And so the public's going to read a bunch of stuff there, and then they're going to go online to social media, and they're going to read a bunch of stuff there. And then there are people with political agendas who are going to twist things further. And so what you end up with is, look, people like my mother, she ran a scientific interagency study on HIV for 20 years. She is an expert on evaluating scientific data, especially when it comes to viruses and, and infectious disease. And yet she also finds herself in the category of she's 80 and she has to make personal decisions about her health and she lives in New York City and she's talking to virologists all the time. 
even she has a hard time sorting all of this out. So are, is this just the way it is? Or do we have failures of science communication that we could fix somehow? You mean in terms of trying to get more people to accept the vaccines and take them? And to accept public health guidance in general to sort of understand oh, yeah. like masking and what we can do indoors and what we can't do indoors. And hey, you know, the situation used to be this, but now we have Delta. So the situation is that. Is, is it just kind of part and parcel of, look, this is the state of the world, or is there really something we could have done or could be doing better? I wish if, if I had that, <laughs> I wish I could answer that. Truly, there are so many times throughout this where I just am completely baffled by people. I do not understand. I don't understand why they don't do things that the experts are telling them is safe to do. And I understand I'm, I'm skeptical as a journalist. You have to be skeptical. You have to kind of the adage is if your mother says she love you, she loves you, you know, check it out. Like you have to question everything. But at the same time, you I also accept that there are people who know more things than I do. And they if they tell me to do something that's good for my health, that's good for my kid, I most of the time I will do that. I will listen at least and take it seriously. So it has been baffling to me where people will say, oh, I, I just need to do more research about the vaccines. And that I don't understand because who are, what kind of research are you gonna do beyond what these experts who have devoted every minute of their lives for the last year or so have done research about? Like what more is there to do? That being said, that being said, putting, I think you just have to look at human behavior and the fact that people are scared of a lot of different things. And it's not just the COVID vaccine. There's issues with childhood vaccines. You know, as a parent, my child is seven. Um, ever since I brought her to her first pediatrician visit, there have been signs everywhere about the importance of vaccination. And I know that that is a huge campaign they have had to do for parents who are reluctant with this precious little newborn baby they love so much to give put something in their bodies that they don't understand. And so people have always been nervous about things that are new or that they don't have experience with or they don't fully understand. That's just part of human nature. And I get it. Um, I also think that there probably is something unique to the American sensibility that we are very independent people. Um, we still have that, you know, <laughs> live free or die mentality. Don't tread on me kind of thing. Like this is. Right. Plus we'll, we'll, we'll do the right thing after we've tried everything else. There's self-government, like self-government comes to the right to self-government it you know, applies to my own person as well. You can't tell me what I need to do that's good, that's best for me. I know what's best for me. So we're fighting against that, I think that in a way that perhaps other countries aren't as much. Um, you know, I have friends who live in Europe and they didn't bat an eye when they had to, you know, ask permission to leave their house during some of the quarantine periods that they had. That was just the rule. And there, it's just, it's just a totally different approach to this kind of situation. So we're sort of fighting against that. Um, 
I have read some really interesting pieces. What I really, I search, I search for people who, to try and understand the mentality of people who still are resistant to things. I read a lot of opinions from people whose minds were changed and that, that helps me make sense of it a little bit. And there is a woman I know who actually lives near me and she wrote a piece also in the Enquirer coincidentally about how when her kids were vaccinated, she was also hesitant and she'd go to the pediatrician's office and they tell her you need to get these shots. And you'd be like, oh, I'm afraid. You know, and that you love your child, you're afraid something bad will happen to them. And she remembers her, her doctor telling her, I, I gave all of my kids this vaccine. You know, this, I did this personally. And she could see that the doctor loved her, his children as much as she loved hers. And she had sort of faith, she trusted him. And so she got her kids all the vaccines and she ended up getting vaccinated for COVID after also being a little skeptical or nervous. And that was helpful for me, but so I guess it, the lesson for that might be peers, like people in your own community, people whose opinions you trust, who tell you that this is their, they made this decision and you see how much they care about their own health, how much they care about the health of their families and they all got vaccinated and that may convince you. And I don't think we have enough sort of peer leaders who are, you know, Doing, and I don't know who those people would be. They'd be different in every community who come forward and say, I got the vaccine and here's why, and here's what happened to me. I also think time will make a huge difference that there are things that we're so used to now that we fought over in the beginning. You know, these we've had, we have so many requirements on our life, so many sort of so-called limitations on our so-called freedom. I have to like quotes around all those things because it's really depends on how you look at it. But you know, seatbelts, requirements for insurance and vaccinations for your dog. You can't get your dog groomed unless you prove it's been vaccinated against rabies. You have to show actual proof of that. And we're so used to that now that we don't most, I would think most people don't really question a lot of it. And I think with time, this would, the same thing would happen with the COVID vaccine. Unfortunately, time is not on our side. So in the end, I mean, the only thing I can think that would work in this kind of time pressure crunch situation where we don't want people to die. We just, we don't want people to keep getting sick and dying um, is, is mandates. I mean, I think until we can convince people, which is just a time process, it's mandates. And then not just mandates, but the ability to enforce them. So to not just say, okay, you have to have a mask in stores or you have to prove you're vaccinated then give stores and business owners and whoever has to enforce this, the tools and the resources to actually do it. Um, because a mandate doesn't mean very much if we're not able to really enforce it. Well, that's exactly where I wanted to go. You know, I was joking a moment ago about the famous quote that Americans will always do the right thing after they've tried everything else. And it does seem like the recent announcement of the vaccine, I want to call them mandates because they're sort of a series of, of separate provisions from the Biden administration, the, the mandate for federal employees, the mandate for businesses with 100 or more employees. It does seem like that is an instance of, all right, we're getting around to doing this thing because we've tried everything else. Now, I wrote an article earlier in the summer for Alternate and Raw Story where I argued, you know, what we're facing right now is a failure of imagination. 
because it does seem like we have all these technological tools. We have all these businesses out there that are built around the idea of reaching, micro-targeting the people they need to target. They have all this data and analytics to be able to do it. They have all these tools through social media and communications platforms to reach people. We have all of this social psychology, behavioral economics to understand how to nudge people in the right direction. We have apps that can addict us to play Candy Crush Saga, whatever the heck that is. And yet we can't come up with a way of combining those things and get the reluctant people to take the darn vaccine. So now we're stuck with the mandate. I guess that really was going to be my next question to you is, do you think to some degree we've had a failure of imagination here? Or is it really that, you know, it's like that that old movie quote, well, we've had this date since the beginning. Like we were always, because we're America, we're Americans, we are who we are. We were always going to end up in this place where we had to do it via vaccine and mask mandates. And at least we've now gotten there. And that's that's just the way it is. It's possible. It's tragic though, because think of how many people have died in between the time that we said, you know, you have some freedoms as long as you follow the rule. If you, as long as you follow these certain, you know, guidelines, these small freedoms are are possible, are safe. That in between that and now, think of how many people have died. And that makes me so sad. I, I, everyone I talk to right now is just so tired. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But part of it for me is just seeing unnecessary death every day. And it hasn't even been personal things. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate that I haven't lost anyone I love to COVID. Um, but you know, it's out there that, and, and I have lost, I've lost both my parents. I know how, how awful a death is, how much it affects you for years afterwards often. And to think that all around the country, all around the world, there are people still going through this unnecessarily at this point, because we have the greatest preventative tool that we, we've talked about. These vaccines are absolutely incredible. All of these preventable deaths just weigh really heavy on, I think, everybody I know, certainly on me. I mean, sometimes I just, I wake up so tired, even after a good night's sleep, because it's just, it's, it's so hard to feel like we have to have this, we have to try everything else before we can get to the right answer. Because what's lost in that time is so significant for so many people, those lives, literally lives are lost while we're waiting to get to the right answer. I actually hope that out of this, I don't know, it's possible that maybe there's a new field that, that focuses, that learns, and there are people doing, studying this, I know, but more of an effort to really understand how to get people to follow the advice they need to follow. And this is a much, like I said, it's a much bigger problem than COVID. People know what they're supposed to eat. They know that they're not supposed to smoke. They're not, they know that they're not supposed to, they're supposed to exercise and people still don't do those things. So how do you get people to really do something that especially where it's not just for you, but it's for everyone around you? Because if I get sick, maybe I'm okay, but what if I give it to someone else who dies? It really isn't just an individual decision right now. 
Well, I think that's the key differentiator, right? Which is that, you know, my wife is a physician and she, in her own practice, she would struggle with the things that we all struggle with. And she's a very super smart communicator. And, you know, it's it's very hard to get patients to stop smoking and to take their health seriously. And I think the difference truly is, and and probably the thing that justifies the mandates at this point is your right to swing your fist ends at my nose and your right to walk around maskless and not get a vaccine ends at my unvaccinated children. And I make no apologies for the fact that I feel a certain way about the fact that, you know, what do we know about Delta? We know that for the first 24 to 48 hours, you're able to shed virus from your nasal passages, kind of like an unvaccinated person, even if you're vaccinated. And so in the presence of Delta, I, I'm a vaccinated person. I don't want to be around you and I don't want to get a, a breakthrough infection. That's not the same thing as getting sick. That vaccine is protecting me very likely from getting sick and dying. But it doesn't mean I can't pick up the infection. And it doesn't mean, crucially, that in that, that window, that 24 to 48 hour window, I can't give the virus to my unvaccinated children. And by the way, we have a record number of children hospitalized in America today, right now, with COVID. We've never seen this before. I sound like Donald Trump. We've never seen this before. Well, it's true. <laughs> We've never seen this before. And it's it's unconscionable. And as you say very eloquently, each hospitalization and God forbid death of a child, that is a huge, huge deal. And it just, maybe I'm proselytizing on the radio, but it drives me as nuts as it drives you. Uh, with my last question for you, mm -hmm. I'm going to put you in an absolutely untenable and unwelcome position. Uh, this is a very rude way to welcome you to Beyond Politics, Great. but I'm going to ask you <laughs> to look into your crystal ball a little bit because okay. you have been prescient about some of the missteps that we're seeing and some of the progression of where things might go. Um, we're at this really uncomfortable place. And you've raised the prospect in your writing in the Philadelphia Inquirer of where is this going with schools and masking and the potential for more closures and, and school shutdowns and re returning to remote learning? Obviously, we haven't gotten on top of the Delta variant and we're just seeing how this mandate experiment is going to unfold. What in your mind, do you, do you have anything that you foresee in the next three to six months to keep an eye out on? What are you watching for at the very uh, Well, yeah, that's, I would say three to six months is very hard to predict because things will be up and down. There will be more school closures. There've been way more than I expected actually. And I'm a pretty skeptical person already since the start of the year. Um, I think the timing of when the, the vaccine is available to children and how easily we're able to get our appointments and get our kids in and how many people do it, those are huge variables. And all of those individually will influence the way the next few months look. Um, I am hopeful, uh, but that's, it's hard to be hopeful right now. I'm trying to be hopeful, but I am preparing for a rough, three to six months where you get a glimpse of something good and then you have to backtrack. I think the longer term picture is that COVID eventually all of us will either be vaccinated or exposed enough to it, either because we get sick and recover something else. No, it's, it's really that we get sick or recover. And then it becomes just kind of a circulating cold. There are coronaviruses that we get sick with 
you know, every year and it just becomes that and it's not so serious because we have some experience with it either because we're vaccinated or we got sick already. But that is not within three to six months, I would say. But that ideally is a year or two or something like that on the horizon. Alison McCook, prolific writer, deep thinker, really wonderful work in the Philadelphia Inquirer all over the place. People can check out, if you're interested in Alison's writing, you can check out her own website at Alison M. McCook. No, I'm sorry. I put an extra M. It's just okay. Alison McCook. It's a lot of C's and O's, so it's okay. A lot of C's and O's, yeah. Understandable. (laughs) And folks, listen, I'm Matt Robeson for WKXL and Beyond Politics. Please get vaccinated. 